Thanks for listening to one of our Sunday messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 10.45 a.m. To find out more about our church or to connect with any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you follow Jesus. Good morning. You guys can take a seat. Not like you wouldn't anyways. Um, That's right. As Andy said, my name is Nick, and maybe you're thinking uh, I'm either Charlie when he really lets himself go, or I'm somebody else. Uh, And that's right. I'm Nick. I am not the future of Charlie after he's had three kids. I am just me. It's coming. Um... So I'm Nick. I'm the youth pastor here, and about four times a year, I get to come up and talk to you guys. And today, we're in the middle of the book of Proverbs. Charlie's been taking us through this book this summer, and I have been given the task of talking about words. Proverbs spends a lot of time talking about how we use our words, what our words do, what they're capable of. And so today, we're going to walk through that. And I want to start by telling you something that might not surprise you. Maybe, well, I don't know. The average man uses about 7,000 words per day. Now, some of you might be thinking, my husband uses about 15, and you might be right, because that's the average. You know, we need those guys to keep that number at a healthy 7,000. 7,000 words a day is for the average man. I wonder if you, my good friends, can guess what you think the average woman uses in a day. I'm going to give you a hint. It's higher. (laughs) What'd you say? Oh, you were here in the first service. 20,000 words. That's the average. That means there are some that use much, much more. 20,000 words a day is a lot of words. A lot of words. And that's just the words that we speak. That doesn't even matter. That doesn't count, account for the words that we take in, that we hear. And if you are like many people, you are using things like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and you're watching television that's giving you lots and lots of words, or maybe you're like me and you listen to podcasts. Podcasts are great, and I have a very long drive from my house to work, and so I listen to thousands of words even before I've arrived at the church. And if I was like Charlie and Andy, Charlie and Andy are always on me trying to get me to do like double speed on my podcast. I don't know if you know this, but you can, use, you can listen to podcasts at twice the normal speed that they talk. And it's infuriating. I hate it. I can't stand it. Charles, I think Andy is at two and a half times speed on some of his stuff. Please bother him about this because it's weird. But that's a lot of words. We are using and taking in tons and tons and tons of words. And I think maybe something has happened. I think maybe, and I, and I think I'm guilty of this too, I think maybe we've begun to devalue words. Because we hear them so often, we use them so quickly, we're typing them, we're texting them, we're saying them, we're reading them, words and words and words and words. Maybe we think they're not as valuable. Maybe we have forgotten how much power words have. And I want to show you today that that's just not the case, that words are not frivolous. I know this from personal experience. When I was in middle school, I was not a nice person. I know that's shocking. I can hear the silence in the room as you sort of suck the air out of the room because you're surprised. Um, But no, I was kind of mischievous and annoying and disobedient. My parents are here, so I'm not making eye contact with them. Um, I was a problem. And sometimes this problem wasn't that big a deal, and sometimes it got me in trouble. Like, for example, uh, there was this kid 
in school named Mike Harden. Mike Harden was a gargantuan beast man. He was in high school, I was in middle school, and you didn't talk to Mike Harden. You didn't look at Mike Harden. You didn't get within the air of Mike Harden unless he invited you in. And if he invited you in, there was a good chance that it was not for a positive reason. Mike Harden was scary. And for some reason, that didn't register with my tiny middle school brain one day as I was leaving a movie theater with two friends, and it was nighttime, it was dark, and I was on my way to go hook up with my parents to take me home, and I had two friends with me, and we're walking, and Mike Harden and his gang are sitting outside the bowling alley, which is right by the movie theater, and Mike calls me out. Historians have often wondered why this happened. Um, there's probably a podcast out about it, but I don't understand why in that particular moment, on that day, on that night, that Mike Harden used my name, which I didn't know he knew, to say, hey, Nick, come here. If you've ever had your heart fall down to your feet, you know that it doesn't feel good. It's awkward and it's terrifying, and I really didn't know what to do. I didn't want to come over there. I knew that. I knew for sure that that was the last thing that I wanted to do in that moment. And so me and my brilliant teenage middle school mind turn around. And this is, this is after, by the way, my friends, who as soon as Mike called me out, my friend said, Nick, we got your back. And I was like, okay, so we all understand what's about to happen here, right? So I turn around and I look Mike dead in the eye. And he's probably about from me to the, the sound booth. And I said, shut up. Again, I don't know why. No idea. So I turn around and walk away as if I've won this interchange. And I don't know if he floated on the air or if he had a teleporting machine, but it felt like in moments he was behind me, pulling me around to face him. And so here it is. Something's about to happen, and it's not going to be good. And so a normal person might begin to apologize. A normal person might look up into Mike Harden's dark, soulless eyes and say something like, I'm sorry, I don't know where that came from. Please forgive me. Get on my knees and beg. Please, sir, forgive me. But I began to spout out things like, you're not in charge of me. I can do and say what I want. What are you going to do about it? And so Mike tells me and shows me what he's going to do about it. And because of what Mike did, I had the impression of his class ring embedded in my temple for, I think, about two weeks was when it started to fade. He hit me as hard as a human can hit another human. I spun around, fell down, and at this point, remember my friends who said they've got my back? They'd gotten back about six or seven steps away from the problem. Uh, And then I got up, shook it off as much as I could, and walked away. Proverbs 18.6 says, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. (laughs) This is true. This is a very true statement. Words matter. And then there was Mike's younger brother, Chris. Chris had a Napoleonic complex. He was tiny, he was shrimpy, and he was mean. But I actually kind of liked Chris. Kind of got along with Chris. We both had a similar problem where we felt like the only way to, you know, make friends is to bother people. And so Chris and I almost kind of got along. 
And there was one day, I don't know if I'd bothered this other guy named Justin who just felt like he had to destroy me, but um, as we were walking out of class, going to the bus, which was about a half mile walk, I suppose, Justin told Chris that I had stolen a dollar out of his jacket, which was untrue. I was good enough friends with Chris to know that you don't do that. You don't take things from people who have the last name Harden because it doesn't go well. And so I did not do this, but Justin decided that he wanted to play a little game. He wanted to sow some strife, and so he did. And so I don't know exactly what happened, but I imagine it was something like fire welled up in Chris's tiny little body, and he jumped out of that room and ran to where I was. He knew where I was going to be because I was walking towards the bus to go home. And now imagine, if you will, a pack of 150 middle school kids all walking in a small sort of corridor-like fashion to the bus. We're packed in. It's rambunctious. It's crazy. It's loud. And there's very little adult supervision. Chris runs through that crowd. I don't know if he flew over it or he had the same teleporting powers as his brother, but he ran through there, jumped on my back, and hit me in the face again, just like his brother had. It's fun. And Chris was small, so it really didn't hurt that much, but I instinctively sort of pushed him off my back, and in doing so, I kind of fell back. And remember, this is a large crowd of middle schoolers, and we ended up kind of pushing around a bunch of people, and I don't know... If you've seen the movies where, you know, they're in like the bar and somebody gets in a little fight and then all of a sudden the entire bar is fighting each other, I always wondered how they decided who's on what's team in those situations, but I went through it and I lived it because right then in that moment after I was pushed and Chris was pushed and we pushed somebody else, it was just like all of a sudden these crazy middle school brains clicked into fight mode and about 20 or so middle schoolers just started punching and kicking and gnawing at each other and another 20 formed that famous circle around them yelling, fight, 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 fight. And middle school teachers and parents' ears started to prick up and they could hear it and sense it, but they didn't know where it was. And so for about a minute and a half, it's just go time. We're fighting, we're kicking. I'm pretty sure I bit somebody. If it was a cartoon, it would have been one of those like balls of dust where you see like feet and arms kind of poke out every once in a while. It was intense and crazy. And it, <laughs> there was no reason for it. It was silliness. And we all, after we ended, you know, they're all scratched and bit up, and I had to come up with some weird story from my parents when I got home, which again, not looking at you. In Proverbs 16, 28, it says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Words matter. A theologian named Ray Ortland says, Words mark us as human in the image of God. I read this and I think about how really interesting it is that humans are the only ones that have the powers of speech. Most animals can communicate with each other in some way or another. It's really cool to see like the ants in a line walking down the the tree stump with the leaves. That wouldn't be very interesting if they could talk because that's not that amazing. It's about as interesting as when you see a line of children walking. It's hard to do, but it's really not that amazing because we can say to them, walk in a line. One of my favorite scenes in any animal documentary is when those wild dogs are all working together. There's like 25 of them, and they're all working together, coordinating over hundreds of yards to attack this one little herd of whatever's, a deer or something. And when they succeed, it's amazing, because it's like, how did they do that? How did they know when to go? How did they know who was going to set the trap? Because there was no pre-hunt meeting with the leader of the dog saying, all right, Jim, John, and Jones, you guys are going to go east. You three are going to go west, and the rest of us are going to go up the middle. Jack, you're going to take the trap. And you know what, Stephen, you haven't been performing very well. You're going to sit this one out. They didn't have that meeting. 
They didn't have that meaning. So it's amazing. They were able to do all these things without speech. If they could talk, that wouldn't be in a movie. It wouldn't be on a show. It wouldn't be interesting. It would be about as interesting as watching my family and I go grocery shopping. Which, by the way, I think would be hilarious because there's usually tears, there's a lot of drama, somebody gets in a fight, and somebody steals something. It's really <laughs> interesting. It's good TV. Words matter. Written or spoken, they can change the world. Maybe you've heard of this guy named Friedrich Nietzsche. He was a philosopher, and he said this about him. All I need is a sheet of paper and something to write with, and then I can turn the world upside down. This is one of my favorites. Emily Dickinson, woman, uh, female poet. She had to hide the fact that she was a woman and get herself published. She said this, I know nothing in the world that has as much power as a word. Sometimes I write one, and I look at it until it begins to shine. It's powerful. Written or spoken words matter. In Genesis chapter 1, through the power of speech, God created the world full of its mysteries and complexities. He arranged oxygen to exist in the air so that we could pull it into our lungs and distribute it to our blood so that we can continue to live. He arranged and choreographed all of these things simply through the power of speech with words. Words matter. I hope that at this point I've convinced you that words are in fact meaningful, that they do matter. And now that we understand this, we're going to continue and try to investigate what words are capable of. If words matter, if words have great meaning, then they must be capable of something. So what we're going to do now is figure that out. Why do words matter so much? First thing we're going to understand is that words can tear down and build up. In Proverbs 12, 18, it says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. And in 1821, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I think we can all remember a time, and maybe it's already begun to come up into your mind, when somebody said something that hurt you, when somebody said something to you that crippled you, that made you feel less than. Maybe some more than others, but I, I don't feel, honestly, like I need to spend a lot of time on this because I think we all can agree that words can hurt. That old adage of sticks and stones may break my bones, but it's nonsense, right? It's nonsense. Words can tear down. And the thing about it is, not only have we been on the receiving end, but many of us have been on the giving end as well. Many of us have thrust that sword into the heart of another with our words. And even more than that, maybe some of us, I know I'm included in this, have maybe thrust that sword without even knowing. Words have so much power that they can often wound without the person speaking them even knowing that they wounded. I am a major culprit of this. I am a very jokey, kind of sarcastic person. And that means that a lot of times I will hurt the feelings of somebody that I care about without even knowing it, not even doing it intentionally. It's one of my flaws that I don't like. But it's true. We've all been victim of this, and we've all been the perpetrator of this. Words can tear down. The good thing is, <clears throat> words can also heal. In 1218, again, he says something really good. A gentle, no, he says, the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
And a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Tongue can bring healing. Gentle tongue is a tree of life. In the same way that words can cripple us, they can be a tree of life. They can restore us. And most of us can probably remember a time when someone said something to us that turned on a new light inside of us. Something that was said to us that just recuperated all that we had been, that we'd lost. Someone said something to us that stuck. I remember as a teenager a couple times in two different places by two different people on two different continents. And I don't know why I remember this. But someone, would, someone prayed over me, and after they prayed for me, they came and told me, hey, I don't know what this means, but I felt like as I was praying for you, I just saw this line of people lined up behind you. That's twice that's happened to me. I don't know what it means, but it's stuck. It's been with me for years. Not only do the words that people say, but just like, I don't know, like are, are hugs a word? I don't know, because if my kids have anything to say about it, they are. When I got home, my parents and my family got home last week from from Florida, and they opened the door, and my children just instinctively ran to me, hugged me, and said they loved me. Those words are going to stick. That was a sweet, sweet moment, and it happens a lot. And I can also remember a time, it was uh, June 15th, 2004, Uh, my, I was talking with this beautiful, dark-haired young girl named Rachel, and we were sitting on a playground at night. The stars were out. We were working together as counselors at Sky Ranch. And we'd been dating for a little while. And it, the time just kind of felt right. And I said, I love you. And she said, I love you too. And that moment is stuck. It's made an impression on me. Those words that were spoken, that were so clearly true and honest, have stuck and they persist in my heart to this day. Many of us have even had a favorite line from a book or a movie or, or a show or something. We all have these lines that maybe have stuck with us from the past. Now, I'm going to share something with you because I, I'm being vulnerable and honest with you. Uh, Braveheart is one of my favorite movies. And in that movie, there is a particular scene and a particular speech that has stuck in my brain forever. Let me set the stage a little bit. If you've never seen the movie Braveheart... It is about the emancipation of Scotland from London, from England rather, and uh, it's mostly untrue. It's mostly just a movie, and the story is much less salacious, but it's very interesting, and there's this one big battle. Finally, Scotland is facing off against England. They've sent an army. Scotland has their army, and there's this guy named William Wallace who's their leader. He's the guy that started everything, and he's the one they all look to, and he hasn't shown up yet. And the the army from England shows up and they're bigger. They're like triple the size of the Scottish army. They've got horseback. They've got all kinds of extra stuff. And the Scottish army starts to get scared and they start to walk away. And that's the point where the music kicks in and William Wallace rides up on his horse. Everything is better when you're on a horse. Okay. If I could preach on a horse, I would because it would really, really help. So William Wallace rides up on his horse and he's got blue paint on his face and he just looks intimidating and cool and scary. And he gets in the front of the army and he starts to ask them, why are you leaving? And they're saying, we're leaving because if we stay, we're going to die. And then he says this, I fight and you may die, run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. That's right. 
That's it. It's so good. It pumps me up. It gets me excited. I love that speech. And I don't love that speech because it makes me want to join the army. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go back in time and fight in that battle. I don't want to do that. I would die quickly. That's not what it makes me excited about. It makes me excited because in my heart in that moment, I hear that and I'm like, man, what am I doing? Am I using my time wisely? Am I living in such a way that when I'm done and I'm dying in my bed many years from now, I'm going to look back and say, man, I took every opportunity I could to make the name of Christ known. That's what wells up in my heart. When I hear those words, they inspire this thing in me that I otherwise wouldn't feel. Another one that I love very much is this poem called The Tables Turned by William Wordsworth. You probably have no idea who that is, and that's fine. He wrote it in the 1800s, and he wrote this poem, and it, and it does things to me. I'm going to share just a little bit of it with you. It goes like this. Up, up, my friends, and quit your books, or surely you'll grow double. Up, up, my friends, and clear your looks. Why all this toil and trouble? And this is my favorite part. The sun above the mountain head, a freshening luster mellow, through all the long green fields has spread his first sweet evening yellow. Now, apart from the fact that he uses words so perfectly and places them in the exact right order to inspire feeling within me, it makes me think of that scene, that that sun above a mountain's head blowing its yellow color all across the world and what that would look like. And this summer, as I was driving kids back from Mexico, it was early morning, I'm in a van with a bunch of kids, and I look to my left, and I see this mountain. And it's a very beautiful mountain, but then the sun just starts to peek over it just a bit. And that color just blankets the valley. It's yellow, and it's green, and there's blues in there. And it was so beautiful. And this, these verse, this verse came back into my mind as soon as I saw it. And I began to cry. It was very silly, but I just couldn't help myself. It was such a beautiful moment. And it was because of these words that amplified that beauty. And I began to think about how God built this. God created this scene. God moved the earth and the sun and the mountains and the places that they were. And in that moment, it inspired such love in my heart that I just began to be overwhelmed with love for who God is and how much he loves me. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't hold it in. And it was words that inspired that feeling. Words can tear down and build up. But words can also expose us. In chapter 13, 13 verse 3, it says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. You see, an abrasive tongue, a lying tongue, a foolish tongue, all of these are signs of a person who struggles with resentment, maybe dishonesty or pride. And the irony is that those words we use to deflect people from our true selves can end up, in fact, highlighting those things that we try to keep private, those things that we think nobody else knows about us. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. I tend to procrastinate the hard work of discipleship in my own heart. I know many things about me that need to be dealt with, that need to be laid at the altar, but sometimes I procrastinate those things and and think I'll I'll work on this later, I'll pray about this later, I'll, I'll lay this down at a later time because I think maybe nobody really knows about it anyway. I think I have these private vaults that nobody has access to, but 
I think what the authors of Proverbs are saying here in this line is that that doesn't work. Those vaults are far more open than you realize. And rash words can hand the combinations and keys to the people around me. King David knew this. And he wrote in Psalm 141.3, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. He saw our mouths and our words as this fortress. And if, we tr- and if we want to stop ourselves from coming to ruin, as it says in the Proverbs, we need to set a guard. We need to think before we speak. When you have a castle, when you have something like that that holds very valuable things, you set a guard. You watch over it. You are careful. You're precise. You do not just fly open the gates and let come out whatever you want and enter whatever you want. You set a guard. And you know, Charlie's going to talk about this next week, the whole concept of guard your heart, so I won't go further into it, but to say we need to think before we speak because words can expose us. And not only can they expose us and tear us down and build us up, but words can spread like fire. In Proverbs 16, 27, it says, A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A lie about someone, a small fib, or even something that's true that really doesn't need to be spread around, all of them can quickly spread like a scorching fire, ruining reputations, alienating people from one another, sowing discord between relationships, all because of a simple word. Maybe James, the author of the book James, was thinking this when he said, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire setting on fire the entire course of life. Again, I have experience with this as well. When I was just starting as a youth pastor, I was at this church and I had a a youth pastor over me. I was the associate. And during the summer, they did this thing called UM Army. It's a cheesy name, but what are you going to do? Where we go to a community and we we build things like wheelchair ramps into homes that need them. um, And we just kind of fix things up around the community. And we get to know the families and relationships. It's an awesome thing. It's a great thing. Just terrible name. And I was asked to be the speaker for that week of the trip. And this was a great honor for me. I was very excited, very excited. I was asked to do it in January. The trip was in June. I started planning it in January. I got the worship team. I got to pick who was going to be the worship leaders. And I picked a lot of our students because that's who I was working with. And we just got into it. We started meeting every week. We were rehearsing in February. We were building these worship sets like they were going to change the world. And we truly, honestly believed that that was the responsibility that we were given. And so we took it seriously and we worked hard and we planned and we planned and we prepped and we got to the camp and we did it and we executed those things exactly like we wanted to. We left space for God to move and we saw wonderful things. The really cool thing about these trips is they would invite the families of the houses they were working on. And so a lot of the people in the room were maybe ones that didn't know Christ and didn't, weren't part of our youth group. And so we saw several people make a decision to follow Christ for the first time that week. We, got, we saw wonderful things happen. And it was really, really fun and really exciting. And it was kind of this special moment for me where I really began to feel like this is what God wants me to do. Maybe I have a gift for this. Maybe, maybe this is good. So at the end of the week, they get back the evaluations. People, they ask the kids to kind of like say, how did things go? What did you think of this? What did you think of that? And the band and I got together and we were able to look at them and read them. And, you know, as we 
turn page over page, our hearts just begin to sink because most people said negative things about the worship sets, about the sermons and about me and about the worship team. Just negative and negative and negative. And we were really kind of shocked because it's not like we felt like we were going on tour now and that there were like worship scouts in the, in the stands trying to take us on tour. Like we didn't think we did this perfect job, but we, we saw good things happen. We, we really felt good about it. And they did not like it. And so it turned out after a couple of weeks, we, I was asking questions, trying to understand. I wanted to, be, I wanted to get better. My heart was a little broken. I was kind of sad. And it turned out that there were a couple people, adults on the trip, that didn't like me. They didn't want me to be the speaker. They wanted the guy who'd always done it for the last nine years to do it. They felt like they should have been included in the decision to have somebody else do it. And so they began the very first night just spreading some negativity. They were talking about it in their vans on the way to their work sites, and then the other kids would start talking about it, and it just became kind of the underground thing to say, this isn't good, this isn't good, we don't like this, we don't like this. They sowed that negativity, and it spread like wildfire. And the thing is, it really didn't matter how good I was, it didn't matter what happened there, the negativity was being spread despite what was happening. And it's not about my feelings being hurt, that's really not What bothers me the most, what bothers me the most is that the spread of the gospel was suppressed because of this negativity. And that's the power that words can have. They can spread like fire and tear down good things. The other hand, the same power of spreading like fire can be a really good thing. It can be a really great thing. One of my favorite stories in scripture is when Jesus uh, encounters this funeral procession as he's entering a town and he, and he saves the boy, brings the boy back to life and they all go back in. It's in Luke 7 and they say this. It says, fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. In the same way that Gossip negativity can spread like wildfire and tear down good things. The glory of God can spread like wildfire with our words and it can change things. And it can lift things up. I hope that at this point we've established not only that words matter, but maybe we can even see why. If I were going to summarize it in a very brief sentence, it would be words matter because they're powerful. No matter how many we hear, they remain powerful. Nathaniel Hawthorne, author of the Scarlet Letter, says this. He says, words, so innocent and powerless as they are, as standing in a dictionary, how potent for good and evil they become in the hands of one who knows how to combine them. In the beginning, words in the mouth of God built this universe that surrounds us. And in that same time period, Words in the mouth of the serpent injected poison into the goodness that God had built. Words matter because they're powerful. And that power can sometimes be dangerous. The Bible uses this metaphor of fire over and over again. And there's a great example of this. Just in 1871, the great Chicago fire. Nobody really knows exactly how it started, but the story goes that a cow kicked over a lantern in a barn and that fire started very small and eventually engulfed 3.3 miles of city in Chicago, destroyed it. 
leaving more than 100,000 residents homeless and 300 people dead, all because of a simple little spark that fell on some hay. Fire, just like words, can be dangerous. However, fire is also one of the most dynamic and important resources we have in the world. Much of what you see here exists because of fire. Much of what we experience and enjoy on a day-to-day basis exists because of fire. Fire is dangerous, yes, but it is extremely valuable and extremely useful. And when we use it in the way that it is intended, it can create great things. Words matter because they are powerful. And they can tear down just as much as they can build up. And they can expose us just as much as they can protect. And they can spread like wildfire in a way that can change the world and make the name of Christ known in the farthest reaches of this planet. So whether you are one that uses 20,000 or more words a day, 7,000, or maybe you just use 10, whichever one of those people you are, no matter how many words you use, every single one of them is rich with power. Every single one of them. And especially for those of us in this room, Because not only do we have that same power of speech that was given to us by God, but we also have the knowledge of who God is. The knowledge of the power of grace that exists in, in a relationship with the Son. We know that. So our words hold even greater value. They are drenched in the knowledge and love of God. We have to be mindful of how we wield that power. Words are not frivolous. Words are not meant to just fall on the ground and be forgotten. Words given to us by God to be used for him have immense power. How are you going to use those words? How are you going to use that power? Let me pray. God, we thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for this gift of words. And for the knowledge of who you are and the love that you've given us through the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would allow us and push us and encourage us to spread that out like fire, that it might go and change and encourage and build up and protect those that are around us. God, that you would inspire us to use our words in a way that can change the hearts and minds of the people around us for your sake, that it would make your name known. Give us that courage. Give us that enthusiasm, that passion to use those words wisely. Surround us with people that would use those words to build us up and allow us to do the same. We ask these things with words in your name. Amen.